You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Humanize Me. I am Bart Campolo, and this is my podcast. And actually today, this really is my podcast because I don't have a guest. There's nobody lined up. It's just you and me. And maybe that's a good thing. Um, it's kind of on purpose this time because the, the truth of the matter is there's a lot going on in my life right now. And every time I talk to a friend, they're sort of like, what's happening? Fill me in. And I thought like, well, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are my friends or feel like my friends. I'm trying to be friends. And so I thought like, I probably need to fill you in, you know, cause like some of you know this, but I just moved last month from Los Angeles. My wife and I just loaded up and moved from Los Angeles back to Cincinnati where we lived for nine years before we moved to Los Angeles. And so like, don't get me wrong. Those three years in Los Angeles were amazing. I am so glad we went. And we learned so much and we met so many great people. And like being the humanist chaplain at USC was one of the most wonderful experiences of my whole life. But in the midst of all that good stuff, I got to tell you, Los Angeles, it, it, it's, it's just, it wasn't the city for us. Like it, like it wasn't for me or I wasn't for it or something. I mean, it reminds me of that song, um, Leaving on a Midnight Midnight Train to Georgia, Gladys Knight and the Pips, for those of you that are old enough to remember. First line of the song is, LA proved too much for the man. And I think I'm that man because while, while, while there were so many good things happening there and it was so wonderful to be close to our kids and everything, the truth of the matter is, is that we were never able to really feel part of the place or we were, we were never, never able to get for, for a guy like me, who's a community builder, we were never able to create a real sense of community there. Um, I, I mean, I think there are reasons for that. I mean, part of it is just LA. It's, it's not just that it's so vast. It's also that it's so expensive and the traffic is such that it's just really hard. You meet a lot of nice people and everything, but it's hard to kind of live near the people you are friends with or get to the friends that you don't live near. And so we ended up with a lot of individual relations, but never a situation that I would call a community where like everybody knows everybody and we're all sort of swapping stories and helping each other out and kind of the, the relational dollar circulates more than once before it leaves the system. Um, and that was hard for us because we had come from such a strong sense of community here in Cincinnati. And so we were always sort of looking at each other, Marty and I were and saying like, what are we doing? Is this going to work? And uh, I mean, the only place that we, that, that we really had it, and really it was mostly me that had it, that sense of community was at USC. Because of course, on the college campus, all of these students were living within like a mile of each other. And we were able to create that kind of connected bunch. The Secular Student Fellowship at USC was one of my favorite communities that I've ever been part of. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it's still there. 
I mean, I, I was just on the phone with those guys last week. I, 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 I call in, I Skype into some of the leaders meetings to kind of make sure that things are still flowing along. And they are. I mean, that was a group of people that really learned to love each other and to reach out to people on the outside and draw them into that circle of friendship and to encourage each other and to support each other in this kind of business of trying to become really good people and trying to build really good relationships and trying to call, you know, create a sense of wonder and gratitude, you know, based on just how amazing it is to be a conscious human being for the time that we have. And so like that community was wonderful, but, but we could never create something like that for ourselves out in the real world in Los Angeles. And eventually we're sort of looking at each other going like, you know, we're coming up on 55 or at least I am, you know, I don't want to live out my life without that. Um, and moreover, I felt like as a secular person, I meet so many people that are looking for that kind of thing. I meet young people who have just gotten out of college and they're like, I, I, I don't know how to make friends. I don't know where to connect. I, I meet people that have left the church and they just miss the fellowship and they miss the sense of collective purpose. And I, I, I kind of wanted to build a community like that, that I could say to people, hey, if you don't have anywhere else to be, and if you, you know, if your family has shunned you because you don't believe in God anymore, or if you're just on your own, come live near me, come live in this neighborhood. But to do that, you kind of have to live in a neighborhood that's affordable enough that people could actually reasonably connect and gather. And uh, we knew we could do that back here in Cincinnati. And of course, we have all these wonderful friends here. And so we did, we loaded everything up in one of those pods and sent it off. And then we got in the car and we drove across the country and saw beautiful stuff. Just saw beautiful stuff and found ourselves around the beginning of September pulling in here to Cincinnati. Now, we, you know, we didn't have a house. We still don't have a house. Um, we're, we're, we, we have these wonderful friends here who are letting us stay on the third floor of their house while we look. And I mean, to be honest with you, that's the great frustration is I thought it would be easy for us to find a house here because it sure was the first time around. There was tons on the market and things have changed. Cincinnati is a little bit hotter of a city. It's the end of, it's, it's the fall and that's not when houses go on the market. And we realized like even our old neighborhood, Walnut Hills, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, I don't want to say it's gentrified, but it's getting there. It's, it's happening and developers are buying stuff up and there's microbreweries and, and tattoo parlors and coffee shops. And the truth is that, and I think one of Marty's and my great sort of loves and something that we're, we're unusually good at is living and, and, and becoming, being good neighbors in a poor neighborhood. And, and, and particularly what it feels like in, at this time in our nation's history, like we've always lived in black neighborhoods. And so we sort of feel like if you're white people that can live as good neighbors in a black neighborhood, now might, not, now might be a good time to do that because there's not a lot of those kind of good relationships happening in our country right now. And, uh, and we thought, you know, we'll attract other good people and maybe we can be part of kind of creating a neat cross-cultural community. Um, but it's it, what we're finding is is that the neighborhoods that are kind of that that more struggling neighborhood that we're used to, um, 
there's just not a lot for sale there. And, and what there is for sale is either like so broken down that it would take us years to fix it up with our limited home repair skills um, or just tiny. And we kind of, like, even though it's just the two of us, we kind of need a bigger space because when you're a community, when you're doing this community building thing, you have, we like, we always have a lot of people in the house. Sometimes people living with us who are sort of transitioning in or out of our community or, or you just, you're inviting lots of people over for dinner all the time. And then our kids are in California, some of them, and they'll be coming back. And so we, we need a big enough house and we're just having the dickens of a time trying to find one. So, that, I mean, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I think it'll work itself out. And thank goodness that the, we're staying with our friends, Tom and Jill here in Cincinnati, and they are just the most gracious people you could ever imagine. And and they're not even making us feel like we're in the way, which is a, you know a gift all by itself. And so, yeah, so like kind of here we are. And, and I can't really dig into the neighborhood stuff until I know what neighborhood we're going to be in. So I've been sniffing around over at the university because I, I think I want to try to set myself up to be the humanist chaplain at the University of Cincinnati too. And I mean, and that won't be a paid position either. I mean, even less so than at USC, there's not even a office of religious life to give me a, an office there. But there are, there are young people there and there are certainly secular young people. Um, I've had, I, I, I got to tell you though, at USC when I walked when I walked on the campus, I was immediately sort of introduced to this little five or six person secular, you know, like kind of atheist club on campus. And that was the thing that we eventually sort of re repackaged and retooled and rebranded into the secular student fellowship and, and made into this wonderful thing. And so I went looking for, you know, is there a, is there a group on campus that you see? And evidently there was, but it, as far as I can tell, it's disbanded. So if you know any secular students at US at, at the University of Cincinnati, send them to me. Um, put them in, put me in touch with them because I think we're going to end up starting from scratch. I think I'm going to end up like going over there and setting up a table that says Secular Student Fellowship. Anyone interested? And see who shows up. Um, and we're, we're going to probably have to start from scratch over there. Um, but it's 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 fun to be at the front end of uh of this kind of adventure and i, I mean i'm just really and, you know i mean the truth of the matter is too just watching my wife she's just so happy to be home in a city that's a size she knows how to navigate with all these friends around her i mean she's just it's kind of like seeing a plant that has been hanging in there but not really very well watered for for a while and then you put the water on it and it just perks up and the color comes back into it and and you go like wow it's flourishing again and i feel like that's that's kind of what's going on with my wife which is fun um so yeah so here we're here and we're digging in um and, and you know it's funny because i one one of the kind of podcasts that I, I promise to do more of and I haven't done enough of is is ones that are aimed directly at people that are trying to start communities, trying to start some kind of a humanist fellowship, trying to gather people to pursue goodness together and um, sort of a how-to series. And, you know, one of the things, I, you know, I'm being reminded of as I, as I try to dig in at UC and as I look for a neighborhood is, is that you've got to scout You've got to ask around. You've got to talk to people before you jump in. Um, at UC, I've been meeting with some of the Christian ministry leaders on campus. Um, you know, I'll just send them a note, uh, you know, 
and say, would you, would you have coffee with me? And they will. And some of them have, the two I've met with have been just so great to me in the sense of saying like, we know there's a need for somebody to build the kind of sort of secular alternative for kids who just can't believe in God. And, and we love it that you want to come and not make it a hostile anti-Christian thing or anti-religious thing, but that you want to make it sort of a, a humanist, you know, not, not what are we against, but rather what, what are we, what do we value? What are we trying to do? What, what, what do we do now? You know, what's next now that we know we don't believe in God kind of thing. And, um, and they've sort of been schooling me on how the school works and how the co-op system works and how that affects student lives. And you can learn a lot from talking to other people who are trying to meet needs in whatever community that you're trying to meet needs in or who are trying to bring people together in whatever community you're trying to bring people together in. And it really pays. I mean, if, I, if there's one thing I learned over my many years of showing up in new neighborhoods, it just really pays to scout around and ask a lot of questions and take your time before you plant your flag and say, this is what I'm going to do. Because sometimes what you're going to do isn't, that's not what you have to find the niche and fit into it. Um, instead of just saying, I do what I do the same way, no matter where I am. I don't know if that's helpful. I hope that's helpful. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been funny, like if you're a community builder, but all of a sudden you're plopped down and you, you, you know, in this moment for me, I'm having to, to have these kind of preliminary meetings and scout around in neighborhoods looking for houses. And, um, and so I'm thinking a lot, spending more time alone thinking than I usually do. And it was weird. Tom Petty died, um, a little while back. And, and that was really hard for me because I think like a lot of people in my generation, Tom Petty was kind of the soundtrack of my adult life. I mean, I was introduced to Tom Petty by my college girlfriend um, when I was a freshman in college. And she said, oh, you got to listen to this. This is the coolest stuff. And she was the coolest woman I had ever met. And so what she thought was cool, I wanted to listen to. And so I, you know, I got all these albums and I was listening to all this Tom Petty. And that was it. I mean, the girl didn't last, but Tom Petty was always there for me. And, uh, and so it was hard for me, um, realizing that, that it's the first time I've ever felt like, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, the Prince, yeah, Prince was a big deal and Michael Jackson and David Bowie. I get all that, but Tom Petty was this distinctive voice in my life. It's the first time I've ever realized like, oh, I'm not going to hear that voice anymore. That voice is stilled. And I'm going to miss it. Um, and as part of my thinking through and sort of grieving um, Tom Petty, I, 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 I rewatched this documentary I had seen years ago uh, called Running Down a Dream, which was, uh, it was made by a real filmmaker, Peter Bogdanovich. And uh, it's this four and a half hour documentary about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And about halfway through it, I realized that Tom Petty's real genius. The thing that struck me in this movie was, is that he had gotten a band together. He had, he had found these two other great musicians and then they added two more and he kept them together for like 30, 40 years. I mean, his real gift on one level was he was a great leader. 
and he was able to hold people together and he was able to lead but not dominate. And one of the guys said, we always knew Tom Petty was the leader, but I never felt like I was in his backup band. I thought, man, that is a beautiful image. And, uh, and then, you know, and then showed him getting together with the traveling Wilburys when he, when he was singing with Roy Orbison and Bob Dylan and Jeff Lynn and, um, George Harrison, like these, this, this kind of monster super group and watching those people together. I thought like, that is the great gift in some ways is, is getting along and being able to help other people get along with each other and produce something together that's that's better than any of you could have produced alone. And like, and as they were interviewing people, they were saying that was the thing about, they were a band. It wasn't Tom Petty. It was, they were a band. And I think like, you know, that's what appeals to me about, about life in a real sense is, you know, you're, you're born into this life alone and you die alone. But in between, if you're really lucky, you become part of a tribe, you become part of a band. And um, so, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you should spend four and a half hours watching this documentary, but I am telling you um, is that it, it kind of inspired me in a, in a cool way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I've been doing, a, a, you know, I was doing the research over at UC and I was on the internet um, watching this stuff. And it was funny because like I, I, part of my research is I've been trying to figure out what's going on in the larger mo in the larger world. And I, m my son Roman had turned me on to this guy, Jordan Peterson. And so I've been listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson and that leads me back to Sam Harris and they're talking to each other. And they're these kind of more conservative people than me, sort of politically conservative, trying to get a hearing. I mean, I mean they're, they're good people. You can just, you, you, you can sense the sincerity of their motivations and they're just so bright. And so I'm listening to them. I'm not always agreeing, but I'm listening. And, um, and it was funny as I was listening, I, was, I became really aware that I am not an intellectual after all. I mean, though, you know, and not just those two, I mean, I was listening to Camille Paglia and some, some pretty heavy duty feminist leaders who were in dialogue with these people. And, um, Lindy West again came around and I just thought like, you know what? I'm a smart guy, but I'm not an intellectual. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as, I don't want to say they're smarter than me or you. They're not necessarily smarter than us because there's a lot of different ways to be intelligent. Um, but they're definitely more sophisticated than I am. And I realized like, I'm not an intellectual on that level. I'm just a smart guy who knows a lot about relationships, who knows a lot about helping people get along. You know, I don't think Tom Petty was an intellectual either, but he was a genius at helping people get along and, he, and, and, and at communicating with people um, about relationships and you know, I, I, it's funny because, you know, as I was doing that research, I ended up getting connected. One thing led to another and ended up back. Somebody had written to me about this episode of the thinking atheist that I was on, which is this very popular um, podcast. And so I went on and looked up that inter interview. And for the first time, I, I, I scrolled down to the bottom and I saw the comments and there were like dozens of comments. And I realized for the first time how many people can't stand me. I mean, 
I mean, you know, comments were like, I couldn't listen to this. This guy is such a phony. He turns my stomach. I mean, people, I, I didn't realize, like, people just couldn't, they can't stand me, some of them out there. And I think, like, you know, on this podcast, all, almost all the feedback I get is really positive. And so I'm, I'm under the illusion that, like, people hear me, they like me. But that's the people that are drawn to this podcast. But when I go over on somebody else's platform, especially in that kind of more mainstream secular world, they don't like me. And they're really honest about They're really open about what they don't like. They're like, he sounds, he's so emotional or he seems manipulative, right? That guy, he's such a, such a phony. And I realized like, I shouldn't say like, first of all, I realized I need to stop saying like as much. But what I realize is, is that those people, they didn't meet me at a speaking engagement. I wasn't their chaplain. I'm not their counselor. They, they don't know me. And, if, and, 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 but I sound like a, I sound like an old preacher and they're triggered by that and they can't hear me. And, and it's funny, it, it, it kind of hurts my feelings. Like when people, say that about me like oh he's a phony or he's this or that on some way like in my heart of hearts i don't feel like that's true like i'm just excited i mean you know people that know me from the podcast then meet me in person they go like oh my gosh just like the podcast like yeah this is not trumped up this is like who i am um and i'm excited about relationships and i'm excited about building community and i'm excited about creating a community for people that doesn't say to them uh, you, you, that, that, you know, kind of the, the, the core message of Christianity or, you know, the, the core message of original sin part of Christianity that is like in and of yourself, you basically don't deserve to live. You need to apologize for existing. I mean, I've just known so many people for whom that has been a devastating message. I was just talking to a friend, a woman um, today. And she was telling me that she has spent most of her adult life trying to get over the understanding that she is intrinsically inadequate. And so like, I, I'm excited about creating a way of life and a community for people that's based on reason and, and common sense, but that's, you know, but that's also focused on goodness and and values and a, a deep dedication to making the most of this life like i love this stuff and and so my enthusiasm is pretty damn sincere um and if you know me you know that but you know reading these comments i was like boy i, I need to never do this again um because it was discouraging and i mean and and, and you know, and you might be saying like, how could they think he's inauthentic? He seems really authentic to me. And I'd be like, yeah, that's why you're on this podcast. That's why, that's why you're, that's why we're together. Cause like we get this stuff, but, um, and I guess it doesn't really matter because the whole point here is to find your tribe and to find the people that you can relate to and connect with and make a difference for and you know pump in that direction and uh so yes i mean like i'm i'm really excited to be here in cincinnati i'm excited to build this kind of new thing here 
I'm thrilled that I get to, st- the, the cool thing about being an internet counselor, you know, meeting with people all over the world via Skype is that, you know, I, I was able to bring all those folks with me and, you know, of course I'm always looking for new people. If there's, if there's somebody out there that's like, needs somebody to talk to, I always say like, I'm not really a, a therapist. I'm, I'm more like a professional friend. And, uh, you know, if you want to, if you're interested in all that stuff, you can go at barkcampola.org and all the information is there. And now I really do sound like a salesman, but like the cool part about that is like, I was able to bring it with me. And so I'm excited to be here and excited to still be doing some of the stuff that I learned how to do there. I'm excited to still have this podcast and to be building it up. Um, I'm excited to have the Patreon page and some of you have found that Patreon page and are supporting me through that supporting the podcast through that. And some of you are supporting the podcast through the website, which is even better because then Patreon doesn't take 5%. Um, But however you do it, it's just cool for me to kind of be at the front end of this thing. And I promise you, I'm really committed to trying to do better with it. Trying to do better with the thank you notes when people are supportive, trying to do better at putting out regular podcasts, trying to do better with all this stuff. Um, There's something I ought to be saying that I'm not saying, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. Um, oh yeah, some of you were asking about the mindfulness thing, and like if I seem a little mellower than usual today, and maybe I don't, but I'm trying to. I did meditate this morning, and I've been meditating not not long, three minutes, doing it. I'm using that Headspace app that my friend David sent me. And he heard the podcast I did with Jennifer Howd and he was like, okay, if you're going to try this, here's a good one because uh, the, the the people that lead it don't sound cheesy and it's short and it's cool and it's easy to use. And it has been short and cool and easy to use. And I don't want to say it's changed my life or that like I have found inner peace in that way, but it's a good thing. And as, as my son Roman was saying, like, dad, if you're going to be trying to help secular people grow spiritually. Like mindfulness is not something you could sniff at. It's it's like this data confirmed, absolutely surefire way that people can become more peaceful and more thoughtful and more compassionate towards one another. And so I'm, I'm working it. And if I seem a little more mellow, it's okay, I'm, maybe that's it. I don't know. But, uh, but I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to tell you, like, I, I, I've been reading this book recently, or I, I read it and I've been meditating on it a lot. Meditating is too strong a word. I've been thinking about this book I read called The Power of Meaning, um, by Emily Smith. And, uh, it's this great book kind of, and everybody slices it up differently, but what she basically says is, look, if you want to craft a life that matters in the absence of religion, like make no mistake about it, you're going to need belonging and purpose and storytelling and transcendence. And by transcendence, she doesn't mean like connecting with God. What she means is having experiences that, that remind you or that, or that it, it'll help you to experience the reality of being part of something much bigger than yourself, of being sort of overwhelmed and overtaken by something bigger than yourself. And 
some people that happens in nature, some people that happens in large group settings, um, some people that happens in the mindful thing, um, some people that happens uh, through psychedelic drugs. There are lots of ways to have these transcendent moments. But it was funny because I was thinking as I was reading that book um, that in the middle of the storytelling part of it, she says, she, she quotes the people that are running the moth, which is, and if you never listen to the it, moth, it's a storytelling podcast. And it's just re- regular people telling stories about their experiences. And they're, they're themed usually around something. But, but she talks about the, the, the people that started the moth were just people that had moved to a new city and they were lonely. And when they realized that the thing that they missed was sitting on the back porch with their friends with moths flying around the light bulb while they told each other stories about their lives. And they tried to recreate that. And, um, you know, that's what a lot of people find in AA. That's what a lot of people miss about church. That's what my friend Mark Iaconelli, if you listen to his podcast that he did with me, that's what he was, that's what he and his, his group at the hearth are creating. I mean, I just think storytelling is huge. But one of the things that the, the quote that jumped out at me was this person who had been on the moth said, and, and they said they get this from a lot of people that said, it wasn't until I told the story of that experience that I understood what it meant to me. It wasn't until I told the story of that experience that I figured out what it meant to me. And for those of us that are trying to make meaning out of the chaos around us and the chaos inside of us, one of our greatest tools is telling stories, but you can't really tell stories unless there's somebody listening. And so one of, one of the important things that we need to find in our life is who are the people that will listen to the stories that I have to tell? Who are the people who, who I need to listen to? Um, and, and, and how do we set it up? How do we set up our lives so that there's some space to tell those stories? Um, and I, I guess for me today, I just want to thank you for being part of this podcast. I mean, not just, I mean, I know some of you supporting it and that's beautiful. And some of you write me wonderful letters with suggestions of episodes. And boy, do I have a list. We are, we are going to have an amazing fall and winter because of the list of cool episodes that I've got lined up. People that we're going to be talking to, things we're going to be talking about. But today I'm just thanking you for being on the other end. Because... Today, I got to tell you, like, this is the story of what I'm thinking about right now. This is the story of what's happening to me right now. And I'm really privileged to have so many people that are like, yeah, I'll listen to that story. Like, that story has something to do with my story. Your story helps me to figure out my own. And I got to tell you, when you write to me and tell me your stories, tell me what's going on in your lives, like, that it does the same for me. Your stories help me figure out mine. It's, it's, maybe it sounds trite to say that we're in this together. But I think this podcast community, the Humanize Me family, I think we really are in this together. And, uh, and I'm really happy about that. And I will look forward to being with you again next time. And in the meantime, stay wonderful. 
For more information about the work of Bar Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.